Welcome to the WatermarkOC.Church podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, we're in a great uh, series, as Jordan alluded to. And we're jumping out of the Gospel of Matthew, this great promise of Jesus uh, to give us an easy yoke. And we have been exploring and discovering what that means to do life with Jesus in relationship, life with Jesus in grace, life in Jesus with purpose and meaning. And today we're going to talk about the easy yoke of hope. And uh, if anything, our world in Orange County, our world globally, our world uh, as a nation, if anything, we need the easy yoke of hope. Because the world that we live in is anything but easy these days. I mean, even though we live in a world that is modern with technology and scientific discovery and opportunities and options that have probably been unprecedented and unheard of in the history of the world. The purchasing power of Americans, the decisions we get to make every day, the things that are at our fingertips, the technology, science, medicine, all these great things, and yet... In the midst of all of that great opportunity and choice, life is still anything but easy in the world today. As Jesus said, in this world you're going to have trouble. In spite of the technology, in spite of the progress, in spite of all the things that modern world brings to us, there is trouble. There is challenge, there is hurt, there is pain, there is suffering. Unprecedented, it seems like, in the world today. Uh, We see trouble... Trouble globally, trouble locally, trouble in our own backyard all the time. Even though we have technology, it seems like now the trouble is with the technology that could blow us up, right? The drone could come into our backyard and drop a bomb right on us, you know? The technology is wonderful, and yet there's more trouble and more terror in the world than ever. A survey of the next generation, the millennials, right? The... the, the uh, the rate of suicide is actually going up in the world today for the younger generation. They don't feel that they have a hopeful future. They feel more hopeless about their future. In spite of the technology, in spite of the things, they're more troubled and anxious and worried in the world today. And so we have terror. And we have technology that brings that terror right to our iPhone every second. There seems to be bad news coming through that phone. Uh, whenever we search, whenever we look on that internet every day. And ultimately, we live in a world of tragedy. I mean, last weekend, we gathered for worship, and we had a great time, and we walked out, and I just heard, you know, checked my phone, and all of a sudden, this terrible tragedy, right, in Texas, a small town in Texas, this terrible tragedy in this little church where this senseless man uh, took 27 lives. Violence, evil, trouble. Right? Why? Why? And, and, and we start to reel with the questions. Why? Why does this happen? What's going on in the world? Why is it so out of control? Why, why is this senseless evil, purposeless uh, death? Uh, what is the answer, God? What are you doing? And instead of hope, we easily can fall into despair. And we look to the modern world, and the modern world doesn't have a lot of answers when it comes to trouble and tragedy. I mean, the answers in the, from the modern world are not fulfilling enough to help us in times of trouble and terror like we experienced last week, like we experienced in Las Vegas, like we experienced in New York, the terror, and now in Texas. 
the, the modern world does not have an answer for that. Uh, because the, the, the modern yoke that we live in our worldview is that of scientific naturalism. That is the modern worldview that really covers America today in terms of education and philosophy. Uh, violence is random. We are random chance accidents that came from nothing. And violence is random. It's chance. It doesn't really have meaning because there is no meaning beyond an evolutionary process. There is no morality except for the morality that we would choose in ourselves versus some kind of global story, some type, type of all-knowing purposeful being. Uh, that doesn't exist in scientific naturalism, the philosophy of America today. And so random chance violence is devoid of meaning and purpose. Actually, violence is a necessary part of the evolutionary process, Right? Violence, death, and suffering is a part of the evolution of the species and the survival of the fittest that comes from the scientific story that is given to us in the world today, right? Death is natural. It's natural. So why is everybody worried about it? Why is everybody crying? Why is everybody saying this is immoral when there is no immorality in a world without a being and a God? And so we struggle with that. Even the Lion King tries to help us, right? The circle of life, right? You know, the, the little lion gets the story. Well, you know, you know, we eat the antelope. Now, I was in Africa about a month or so ago, and I saw a lion eat an antelope, and it didn't look like the Lion King. It was a pretty brutal process. But the lion eats the antelope, right? But the lion dies. It ages, and it becomes the grass. And the antelope eats the grass. It's all symbiotic, right? It's all purposeful in the circle of life. Let's sing that, right? Kumbaya, the circle of life, right? I took my kids to the movie. We sang the song, and yet somehow it doesn't leave us with hope. There's a little boy. He was seven years old. He was walking to a park with his mom. His mom was a modernist. She had graduated from one of the elite universities She had a PhD. She was a scientific naturalist, modernist. And the little boy was struggling because he'd lost his three-year-old cousin to a tragic death. And he looked up and he said, Mommy, where's Bobby? And Mom, who had to stick with her paradigm because she didn't believe in a God and an all-powerful being, right? She was a scientist and a naturalist said, Well, Bobby's gone back to the earth. And today as we go to the park and you recognize the flowers, realize that it was Bobby's life, Bobby's body that fertilized those flowers. To which the little boy in a gas said, Mommy, I don't want Bobby to be fertilizer. Does anybody want to be fertilizer? Is anybody excited about that? In the circle of life, we all get to go to the great beyond and become fertilizer? That's the story of scientific naturalism. That's the story Uh, of the paradigm of atheism that pervades so much of our university, so much of our teaching, so much of our progress today is under the base of a philosophy called scientific naturalism. There is no origin, there is no meaning, there is no morality, and there is no destiny other than fertilizer. That's why when these tragedies happen, like the one in Texas, all of a sudden the internet's a buzz and there's all these answers because the modern world is looking for answers and they go to philosophy, they go to the yokes of religion. And the Buddhist yoke, which many people try on, right? This is all just an illusion. 
This, this evil is just an illusion. It's, it's really, we have to transcend the evil, get out of this thing, and come to another world of consciousness, and then we'll understand, right? That's the journey of the Buddhist joke. What about the Hindu? This is just bad karma. This happened to these men, women, and children because they're paying for something that happened in the past life. And now they have a chance to pay it forward. And maybe the next life they can do better and they can work it out and pay for the badness of the past and somehow earn the good some way in the future in heaven. What about the yoke of the fatalist, right? This is just the will of Allah. We just have to live with this. We just have to suck it up and live under the fate of Allah and work this out. And amongst all those voices and all those yokes, there is still an easy yoke that speaks through thousands of years of history. And I believe it still offers the answer of hope, a greater hope and greater resources than any other place. And I believe that is in the yoke of Jesus. I believe this, the ancient voice of Jesus still speaks today and still offers hope to those that are hurting, those that are suffering those that are asking the question of why and the purposeless and the pain of those sufferers in Texas, it is the easy yoke of Jesus that offers us a hope unlike any other. Come to me if you're weary and burdened by death and suffering and struggle, the struggle that still inflicts this modern world. And I will give you rest. I am gentle and humble in heart. And If you take my yoke, you will find rest for your soul. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Maybe you're here this morning and you're suffering. You've lost somebody that you love and you're crying out why. You're grieving that loss. Maybe you're here today and you're struggling with a divorce or a, a death of a relationship. Maybe your child is far away from you. And you don't have any peace or purpose in that relational life. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you know somebody in Texas. Maybe on Veterans Day that we celebrate veterans today. And thank you for your service, veterans, if you are in the audience today. But some of us have veterans that have died and given the greatest sacrifice. And you're grieving that loss on Veterans Day. The easy yoke of Jesus speaks to you. A God who is with us. Our hope comes from a God who is present and available and with us today, right here, right now. A God of relationship, a yoke of relationship. A God who is for us. A God who entered into the system and took on the madness in order to redeem us and give us a better life, a better hope, and a better future. A God who one day will return and set things right. This is the easy yoke of hope. We do not have to live under the hope of despair. The hope, uh, the despairing hope of naturalism. That all we're going to become is fertilizer and those 27 lives are scattered to the wind. There is no purpose, there is no meaning to the evil and suffering in our world. We do not have to take on that yoke. Jesus offers us a different yoke of hope for the suffering and the loss and the pain of our lives. God is with us. The book of Hebrews is a book written in the ancient world to a group of people that were leaving, potentially leaving the easy yoke of Jesus and going back as 
completed Jews, Christians, going back to Judaism, going back to a sacrificial system, going back to an old shadow of the things that Jesus actually brought to life. And the author writes them and says, don't go back. You have a far superior hope and a better way through the faith that you've given to Jesus Christ. And so he writes to this community and he gives them encouragement to continue in the hope that only Jesus can bring. And he says the reason that Jesus brings a superior hope because you have a God who is with you. A high priest that is with you and understands the suffering that you're going through right now today. Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who is ascended into heaven... Jesus, who died and then rose from the grave, where does he exist now? He's at the right hand of the Father. He's at command central in heaven. And he lives to intercede for us, even in the most difficult times of suffering and pain and feeling of despair. We have a great high priest who was ascended into heaven. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith, to the gospel, to the easy yoke that we profess. For we do not have a high priest in Jesus who was unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us approach then God's throne, the throne room that we can walk into now today because of the easy yoke of Jesus with confidence because of our high priest. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need and suffering. You see, God is not absence. He doesn't turn his back. He's not some distant CEO. He's not someone caring, judgmental, angry God. He's a God that understands suffering, the suffering that we face, the suffering that those in Texas face firsthand. A God who took on skin. A God who interceded. By becoming the incarnate son of God, by walking in your shoes that understands everything that you go through in the modern world. Are you suffering here today from the loss of a friend, from a betrayal, from physical pain and hardship, from from being rejected, from struggling economically and feeling poor and not enough? Well, guess what? God knows exactly what you're going through because he's gone through it himself. He's taken on skin, he's walked in your shoes, and he knows exactly the pain and the suffering. He is the suffering servant. He is a man acquainted with sorrows. He knows the grief and the pain that you're going through right here today because he is with you in that suffering. And now he lives to intercede for that suffering. You know how I I know how to pray for people who have lost children in a special way that grieves my heart? Because I've lost a child. And I can enter into that suffering as someone that has stood alongside and knows what it's like to lose a child. And I can pray in a different way because I've walked in their shoes. We have a high priest in heaven that is praying for us, interceding for those victims. Praying for the pain and the grief of Texas and all of us that knows exactly what they're going through. Where is God? He's right alongside the suffering. He's right alongside the poor. They asked Mother Teresa, why do you go to the dead and the suffering? Why do you hold the dying? Where's the hope? Jesus is already there. I go to be with my Savior who's with the poor and the dying and the suffering. This is unique to the religions of the world. 
the religious systems can't even fathom this, that God would become a man and he would suffer and he would go to a place of cursing on the cross. This is unfathomable. This is the mystery of the incarnation. This is the amazing hope of Christianity, that God is with us because he understands exactly what we're going through. John 11 is a great passage to see how God suffers with us. Jesus shows up at the funeral of one of his best friends, Lazarus. And he finds out, he realizes that he's already dead, right? And so he grieves with Mary, a ministry of tears. He knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, right? He is the resurrection of life. And yet he's grieving with Mary, entering into the pain of humanity and all those fellow sufferers that walk that path. And yet it says that he's also troubled. He's also filled with bellows of anger because he's mad at the injustice of sin and death. He's angry at the fact that death has stolen the most precious thing of the creation, relationship between God and man and relationship with one another. And so he's angry at the injustice. There is a place for both feelings as we grieve the loss and the injustice anger and frustration that we can give to God and feel, why did this go wrong? What's the wrong thing with this? We feel the injustice. That's a part of it. And we feel the sadness and the loss. God knows exactly both of those feelings. He entered into those feelings himself. He's saddened by death. He's angry at injustice. And therefore, he helps us overcome. We're tempted to believe that God is not there, that God does not care, that there is no hope but fertilizer. We're tempted to despair. We're tempted to walk away and medicate through addiction, right? We're tempted to walk away and get mad and revenge and pull a gun on ourselves and shoot a victim, right? We're tempted to respond out of our humanity and our anger and our pain. And Jesus has already been there and he shows us a different path. The path of grief, the path of sadness, and the path of hope. And the path of love. This is the yoke of Jesus. He suffers with us. He helps us overcome. Because he has overcome for us. He doesn't just stand as an impotent God. That doesn't have the power to deal with the ultimate core issue. Of this madness. This suffering and death. Because he is not just with us. He's also for us. As the author of Hebrews says, he's also for us. He came to be for us. He came to redeem us. He came to make a way to something more, a hope. People die without hope. Hope is the fact that there is a preferable future out there. And the hope that Jesus brings is not a preferable economic future, a preferable medical future, a future that comes from the world, there's nothing wrong for that. His hope is a future that is eternal, that comes from only the hope of a resurrected God. And it says that Jesus came and he took on skin to be for us, not just with us, to bring redemption to mankind. Look what the author says. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, that was his purpose in coming. It was fitting that God, for whom through everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. He became the perfect sacrifice through what he suffered, the perfect pioneer and the perfect champion. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, 
and free those who all of their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. You see, God did not create us to live in a world of suffering and sin and death. This book tells us that before there was suffering and sin and death, Genesis 1 and 2, we were created for glory. We were created in a world that there was no sin, there was no suffering, there was no death. There was only glory, knowing God, enjoying Him, and reflecting His image in knowing and loving others. The glory of relationship, the glory of His love, the glory of His goodness, to share that with one another and with Him. We were created in a world where there was no evil, pain, or suffering. And so Jesus came in order to take us back. Take us back from whom the one who stole that freedom from us. The devil, Satan, the one who lied to our forefathers, Adam and Eve, and tempted them that that somehow they could become God on their own. And they ate this lie, they bit it, and it created this world, this path of disconnectedness, this path of suffering, this path of pain that floods and fills the world. And Jesus came to take us back. And he did that through his own suffering. He walked the path with us, but he also walked the path for us. Jesus became our salvation champion. That word pioneer in the Greek can be translated pioneer, but it can also be translated champion. He became our champion. In the ancient world, they had this idea of representational combat. Representational combat. Uh, Any of you guys ever been to a hockey game? I know we have some Mighty Ducks fans out there. Now, I got to see a little form of this in the modern world. I went to a Ducks game, and at the end of the game, it was tied. And they have to break the tie, right? And they they call it a shoot-off. I'm a basketball guy. Shoot-off. Is it a shoot-off? Okay, so what? It's a shoot-out. Okay, see, there's a hockey guy. Shoot-out. And so one guy from the Ducks starts skating down. He's got the puck all by himself. And the goalie from the other team is on the other team. And this is, rep- this is face-to-face combat. And this guy from the Ducks is representing not himself. He's representing the whole team, right? If he scores, the Ducks score. If he scores, the Ducks win. Not just he wins, the, he represents the whole team in and of himself, right? And so he goes down and he scores and the Ducks win. Not just him, the team wins. In the ancient world, when people went to war... Many times they solved the issue by saying, you get your best guy, I'll get my best guy, let him go one-on-one. And whoever wins, guess what? They win for the whole nation. Wouldn't you like that, huh? They win for the whole nation or they lose. If they lose, we're going to be your slaves forever. Wow. 1 Samuel 17 is an example. David and Goliath is an example of representational combat. This is the analogy. Jesus came and he did combat for us and he represented mankind. He did combat with sin and death in our place for us. He stood in our place and he went face to face with sin and death, the one enemy that we could never defeat on our own. Why was he the perfect champion? Because of through what he suffered. He was a sinless man. He came from God and he took on humanity and he never sinned. And so when he went to the cross... He went face to face and he won the victory through his death because we were held 
in the power of death, right? We gave command and control to Satan. We bought the lie, and what we got for the lie, when we walked away from God, we separated ourselves, and the payment was death. The book of Romans tells us that all of us, all of us have walked away from God and sought our own way. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of that glory, that heaven, God's holiness. And the payment for that, the penalty of that is death. And so Jesus came to be our champion by paying the death for us. Paying the debt for us. Sin is not just an enemy, it's an executioner. And the wages of sin is death. Separation from God. And Jesus came to break the power of death by dying the death that we deserved. Right, Dying in our place as our representative so he could give us the life that we didn't deserve. Grace, the great exchange, the easy yoke of Jesus. He died not to justify himself. He died to justify us, to make us right with God through his body and blood. And so he becomes our champion. He makes a way, a pioneer. To be like football, let's go to football. Yesterday, some great games. I used to love to watch those running backs as they go into the end zone and they dance, right? And they throw the ball around, they dance around, they do a dance in the end zone. And I used to think those guys were the great guys. Now I realize it's that 300-pound lineman that goes before them, that takes the hit, right? Bam! Opens the hole, and the running back runs in scathe, and he gets all the glory, right? Jesus is that 300-pound lineman, Right? He takes the hit of sin and death. He blows a hole in the resurrection through sin and death and proves that he's God. And we get to dance right into the end zone of God's glory. Is that grace? Are you guys happy about this? Come on. Is this worth celebrating? Come on. We got some hope. We got some hope because of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. We have a resurrected Savior that blew a hole through sin and death. And even though we grieve with tears and pain, those people in Texas who went to that church, they don't grieve without hope. They know that they're going to see their loved ones in Christ again. And that is the hope that holds them. Because they have a champion and they have a Savior. And they have one who made a way. Through death, he set us free, and so they're not afraid of that death. They don't fear the loss of their loved ones, even though they're grieving and their sorrow, because they will see them again. That is the hope that Jesus uniquely offers through the resurrection, through the hope of his death and resurrection for us. He came for us, and finally, one day, he will return from Command Central, and he will come. And he will set his feet down and he will make things right. The book of Revelation, written by the Apostle John, a man who was familiar with suffering, right? Tradition says they tried to kill him. They tried to boil him in oil. They put him, they put him on an island to exile him. They tried to beat this guy. They tried to knock him down so many times, but he wouldn't die. But he knew suffering. And he writes this book, the last book of the Bible, to a church that's suffering under tremendous persecution. Uh, Domitian is the emperor in Rome that unleashes fire on the church and persecutes them. And as he's doing that, John is writing to encourage this church with hope because Christians are losing their homes, their jobs, their loved ones. They're being put in the arena and people are watching them being eaten by lions. And they are suffering with hope and he continues to give them hope that one day things will be set right. 
one day justice will be done. And he says, then I saw in heaven a new, uh, then I saw in my vision a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, look at what's happened now. God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. These people are suffering. This isn't just a theoretical, fun uh, comic book. These people are suffering and dying. Their loved ones are being torn in two. They're experiencing evil like no other. And he is saying, one day, Jesus will return, and he's going to wipe away every tear from your eyes, and there will be no more death, no more senseless evil and suffering. There will be no more death and no more crying and no more pain. One day, heaven will be reunited with earth. Right now, it's separated, right? The kingdom of God has broken in through Jesus, and there is an inbreaking of the kingdom, and holes are blown through and inbreaking through the individual lives where the kingdom of God comes to the redeemed ones, right? And God's kingdom is breaking in, but it hasn't fully come yet. And we wait with hope until that day when Jesus returns, and heaven and earth are fully united again. And we will live again in glory, and we will, everything that was taken from us in the fall, everything that You've not, maybe even fully, none of us have fully experienced. We've gotten tastes and foretastes, but we still struggle with an old nature and a flesh and a world that is, is full of evil and pain. We haven't fully, ta- we don't even know what God has prepared, what it's like to have a day without your fleshly nature, to have a day without your selfishness. To have a day without having to just be self-absorbed to feel the pain or to have to be prideful in your glory. To have that all thrown away and not even have to worry of that anymore, but just to be full of love and grace with the people that you love. We will be in this place reunited with God and we will have resurrected bodies. Right? Jesus talked about, he showed us. He wasn't a ghost, Right? When his disciples saw, he said, look, look at my hands, look at my feet, you know. <laughs> I'm not a ghost, I'm flesh and blood. This is a concrete reality. Uh, Paul talks about a resurrected body. I'm so excited. I'm going to be able to dunk again, guys. I'm going to dunk again, right? The older I get, the better I was. No, the older I get, the better I'm going to become. Man, what I'm going to be able to do with my body in heaven. What you're going to be able to do with your body in glory and freedom and hope. Oh, my gosh. A resurrected body. No more Advil. No more heart surgeries. No more back surgeries. No more. <laughs> I can't wait. All, all this hardware in my body is going to be gone. It's all going to be new. A resurrected body and a recreated planet. No more, no more disasters, natural disasters that steal and take life. No, no more a dying sun, you know? No, no more problems with our atmosphere. That's all gone, an all-recreated place, perfect for us the way that was intended. This is the hope that we celebrate. This is the hope that we believe. This is the hope that allowed Christians to suffer from lions and death and stand up and have hope. This is a hope that allowed black slaves in the South to overcome they, they didn't overcome because they thought, oh, I just can't wait for the next product to come and I'll feel a lot better about getting whipped by my master today. 
They didn't overcome because I think the doctor's going to come and he's going to have a pill that's going to make me feel better. I overcome because if you listen to all the black soul singing and all the the songs that you created, I will overcome when Jesus returns. I will overcome in glory. He's a just God. He's a forgiving God. That's how they suffered and survived because the gospel is real. And that's how we suffer and survive in a modern world today. Technology cannot help you through that. A pill can't save you. It's Jesus Christ in the hope of glory. There will be no more evil, no more suffering, no more death. This is the hope of glory. I love what D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, said. He said, one day, you're going to see in the paper that D.L. Moody has died. And he said, don't believe it. I'll be more alive than I ever was because I'll be in glory. Is that the hope that we share? That is awesome. And today, as we end our service, as the band comes up, as we celebrate in worship this good, good father. Luke, sing that good, good father. He's a good, good father. And we want to come to the communion table. Every week we end our service in worship and response. And we come to this table, and this table, this bread and this cup represent the body and blood of Jesus. And on the night before he left and went to the cross and died, he wanted to give his disciples hope. Because they were going to face a lot of stuff, right? Their rabbi was going to get crucified. They were going to run away. They're going to feel a lot of despair. And Jesus said, don't feel despair. Put on hope. Because this is all for a greater purpose. Because this is my body and my blood. I came to champion I came to die in your place for the forgiveness of the sins, for the redemption of your life. See, our hope is concrete. You said, this is my body and blood, and one day you're going to have a new body, a new, a new body to live in, a new reality, right? It's not, it's not going to this place of all souls where we just get in this sea of nothingness. You're a person, and your personhood has been redeemed. This is a relational hope at this table, you're going to sit with Jesus as a, in, in, in glory, and you're going to share relationship. Your personhood is not gone. You're not going to fertilizer. He said, he said, this is my body and blood, and I'm not going to drink of this cup until we do it again together. This is a personal hope. This is a concrete hope, and this is a secure hope, guys. You know the one thing that these sufferers need to hear? Justice. That when God returns, there will be justice. There will be justice. And it says in the book of Revelation that every book is going to be opened. And the rules are going to be taken. And every man is going to be judged. Every man, woman, and child will be judged according to their deeds. And the question is, do you want, do you want to be stand alone and be judged according to your deeds? I don't want to stand alone and be judged according to my deeds. I want to be judged according to the deeds and works of Christ. And so you either stand on your own before God and say, I'll just take my, I'll take my risk, and I, I don't know if my hope is concrete, I don't know if my hope is secure, or I'll stand in the body of blood in Christ, and I'll take the justice because justice has already been paid. <laughs> judgment has already been done. I'll stand in the judgment of Christ. It is he who died for me. He who rose from the dead. Are you standing in the justice? in the judgment of Jesus Christ? Have you believed? Have you received that hope? Have you said, Jesus, I believe that on the cross you died for me and therefore I'm not going to receive justice because you took it for me. 
And therefore, I'm going to receive hope and grace because you've given me this new life. If you haven't believed in that, if you haven't received that, I'm going to ask you to pray with me this morning and to step into the forgiveness and the yoke and the hope of Jesus Christ and say, yes, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. I want you to be my judge because you were judged for me. I want you to be my hope. And your hope in Christ is secure because it's not about you. It's not about your works. It's not about what you've done. This table says it's about what he did for you. It's about his body and blood that secures your hope. Your your hope is secure in him. Do you have that security today? Let's bow our heads in prayer. If you're here this morning and you're looking for hope and you're looking for hope that is secure in a world of suffering and pain, if you're looking for hope that is real and relational, a God who is with you and understands, if you're looking for a hope that is concrete, that'll give you a better future in Jesus Christ and you've never said yes to Jesus, I'm going to ask you to just pray this prayer in your heart with me before we take communion. Just pray this prayer in your heart and pray it to Jesus because he is present right now through the power of his Holy Spirit. Just pray this. It's not about the words. It's about your heart. Pray this with me in your heart to Jesus. Oh, Jesus, I realize today you are my only hope. I open the door of my heart. I ask you to come in. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for your forgiveness. I receive your grace. Fill me with hope today through the power of your Holy Spirit. Help me to take on that easy yoke and to learn to walk in your way. Lead me, Jesus. Lead me into hope. I thank you for the salvation that you came to bring. In Jesus' name, amen. You said that prayer today for the first time. You are yoked with hope. And you take this meal with all the fellow travelers, a meal of hope, and you say, thank you, Jesus. I want you to take the bread and the cup, and I want you to dip it and say, thank you, Jesus. You are my only hope. Thank you for being my hope today. Would you come to these tables and celebrate the hope of God? Let's worship the Lord. To find out more about us, go online to watermarkoc.church. 